Good morning. I think I find my new favorite song. Uh, I really love that chorus. Um, that's super fun. You can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And so as John told us, we are beginning a new series here in the book of Mark uh, that myself and John and Andrew and maybe who knows who else might, might preach through uh, in, in the months and probably years ahead. It'll probably take us a bit of time. Uh, Shane's going to keep going through Proverbs, um, but it should be rich with truths, really, of who Jesus is and what he has done, because that is what a gospel is when we're looking in uh, to the word of God. Mark wrote this gospel, to give you just a little bit of background, Mark wrote this gospel mainly to Gentiles, so these non-Jewish first century people would have been pretty unfamiliar with Jewish custom, kind of histories and laws. And Mark brings clarity then to what was going on in the life of Jesus during his uh, time on earth in a, in a couple ways. He actually skips some pretty huge sections that Matthew and Luke include, uh, particularly genealogies, because for, for a Gentile, that wasn't really that important to them. You know, in terms of what, what, the, what the line of Jesus was, that was much more important to the Jewish people. He also, when, you, when, you, when you're reading through, you see that he kind of explains some, some of the Jewish terms and customs uh, that would have not need ex, needed explanation to, to someone who was Jewish in reading. So you can kind of see some hints of kind of who, who he is writing to. And, and remember, the Lord Jesus, his gospel, it's like a diamond. Right? There's different facets to a diamond, the different sides of a diamond, and they're beautiful all the way around. But Mark is focusing his gospel on one particular facet of this beautiful diamond that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his focus is really on, on Christ as the suffering servant. In Matthew, we see Christ as king. Right? In Luke, we kind of see him as uh, just human. Uh, in John, we see him as divine. Uh, again, those aspects are, are in all the Gospels, but there's really a, a focus that we see uh, in them. And Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And that's, that's a quote there later on in Mark that we'll see. And remember... Mark's just a guy. <laughs> He's just a man. And he, he would have been transfixed, completely transfixed by the servanthood of Jesus. Uh, he, he himself would have known what it's like to serve. Um, he knows what redemption means because he knows what failure is. He knows what forgiveness means. He knows what restoration means. Because you see, in, in the early life, Christian life of Mark, he, he was kind of thick into Christian ministry. Uh, Acts 13 uh, calls, calls Mark John Mark. So when you're reading through Acts, you kind of see John, who was also called Mark. That's talking about this author of this book, Mark. So in Acts 13, he's traveling around with, with Paul and Barnabas, of all people. He's traveling around with them. They're, they're sharing the gospel across kind of the known world, planting churches, and Mark is right there with them. Uh, it's kind of hard to imagine a better training ground in Christian ministry than hanging out with Paul and Barnabas. And yet, the crazy thing is, is that he left them. 
It was actually right in the middle of one of their trips, and he just headed back to Jerusalem. Imagine that conversation he's having with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, I'm done. I mean, how do you say that to these guys when they've clearly laid down their life and they love the gospel and the people of God and suddenly Mark is just gone? And yet, a couple of years later, we see Mark back on the scene. And so Paul, later on in ask, Acts, he's asking Barnabas, hey, let's, let's go back to the mission field and let's visit these cities where we've been and encourage these people that have trusted Christ. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take Mark. Paul was not quite as enthusiastic about taking Mark as Barnabas was. Uh, he didn't want him to go. And actually, in Acts 15, it says that there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated from each other. And they actually didn't go on that trip together. Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas. Imagine the tension for Mark. He's, he's left once. Now Barnabas is wanting to give him a second chance, but Paul's just not quite sure that that's a good idea. And then Mark's this catalyst to them separating in Christian ministry. I mean, even if he had no fault in that, you'd probably feel some guilt that somehow these, these, these church fathers, these pillars of the gospel had separated. And yet, fast forward a few more years. Fast forward a few more years, and we see Paul writing to the Colossians. And he mentions Mark in his closing, and he tells them, welcome him. And you start to see that, oh, there's, there's a change in the story here. And then in Philemon 24, Paul calls Mark his fellow servant. And then this beautiful place of kind of restoration and redemption that you see in 2 Timothy, Paul wants Mark with him. He asks Timothy to bring him, and he calls him very useful for him. Isn't that beautiful? So like when you think about what does this have to do with the gospel of Mark? Well, it has everything to do with the gospel of Mark. Mark isn't just giving us these historical events. He's been completely impacted by the events that he is about to write. The gospel has transformed him and those around him. He's experienced sin and disappointment and frustration. Have you ever experienced those? (laughs) <laughs> yeah he understands what the gospel has done in his life and what it can do in the lives of others he's been transformed from this fickle little believer into someone that god entrusted to write the account of his son Isn't that beautiful that's what the gospel does and so mark is no stranger to the transforming power of the gospel He's been transformed by someone whose level of responsibility was kind of questionable to, again, someone who is actually writing Scripture. And so it brings us to his gospel account here. And have you ever sat with a child who's excited to tell you something? I just can't get it out fast enough. It's like, jabba, 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 and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, okay, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. That's kind of Mark. (laughs) When you're reading this story, this account, 
He's so excited and it's just super fast paced. And he goes on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. He uses the word immediately more than 40 times. It's like immediately this happened and then and then and then and then. And that is the pace of this gospel. It's the shortest gospel. And yet it reads the most like a story because it's like he just can't help but want to tell about the life of Jesus. Now, this isn't to say that Mark's rushing in what he's doing. It's very carefully written, very strategically written. It's just to say that there's an urgency that's kind of built into this book. These events mattered to Mark. They've shaken him. The life of Jesus has changed him. And they should matter to you. And they should matter to me. And so look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is Mark's good news. That's what gospel means, right? And it's our good news too. This is his proclamation. He's heralding something to these Gentiles that he's writing to. And he summarizes it and really titles the gospel in this short little verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That little verse has a lot in it. Jesus. That's the Greek form of the name Joshua, right? And then in Matthew, when, the, when, 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 when Joseph is wondering what to do in this situation with this woman he's going to marry and is pregnant, the angel comes to him and, and says to him, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from his sins because that's what Jesus means. His very name means salvation. He's not just Jesus, though. He's Jesus Christ. He's the anointed one. He's chosen. He's the Messiah that they've been waiting for for centuries. He's not just Jesus Christ, though. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the God-man. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want you to believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news for you today. That it is true. That's true if you're following Jesus. That's true if you're not following Jesus. It's good news for all of us today. How, how does Mark's introduction here show us that the coming of Jesus is good news? Well, let's read the first eight verses here together. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want to show you three truths today to help you believe that the coming of Jesus is actually good news for you today. 
To believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news, you must trust in the divine plan of God. You see, this is not a new plan. Mark quotes straight away, verses 2 and 3, from the Old Testament. He blends from Isaiah and Exodus and Malachi. Those verses are hundreds and even thousands of years old. And remember, long ago there was one that was predicted. There was one. Prophets have told of this. Animal sacrifices have pictured this. This one, all the way back in Genesis that was going to crush Satan's head. Jesus is not a new plan. He's not plan B, like, oops, they sinned, now I need to do something about it. This is a divine plan. As I mentioned, Genesis 3, this is the one that God said would bruise the head of the serpent. Genesis 3, that's creation. (laughs) That's the beginning of humanity. And John then here, he doesn't appear with his own novel ideas. It's not like he's just coming, hey, like, I'm going to tell you something new. It's not a new plan. He was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. It's also a pretty radical plan. So it's, a, it's not a new plan, but it's a pretty radical plan. It's a real radical plan of forgiveness Mark tells us that this ancient plan, this good news of Jesus, has a very specific foundation. Repentance and forgiveness. This is what John is proclaiming. Look at verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is another example, by the way, of the exciting story that Mark's telling. He appeared! You know, you're like, he just appeared? Like, like, wait a minute, like, we know, if you've read your Bible, you, you know there's a backstory here to John. Like, what about Elizabeth and Zechariah? Like, what about, there's like, there's miracles there and all that? Like, why is Mark not mentioning any of that? Because we see that in other gospel accounts. Well, I think, I really just wants to focus on this foundation here. Repentance and forgiveness. John appeared and he's preaching this and he's baptizing people. And uh, did you notice? The people loved it. The people loved it. Look at, look at verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized. The Jordan River was 20 miles from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is about 4,000 feet higher. So you might think, oh, that's not a bad trek. You're going downhill, you get baptized. But then you've got to turn around. And you've got to get back to Jerusalem, uphill, 20 miles. These people loved this. But you should ask the question, like, why? why? Why would they do that? I think they long for forgiveness. Do you, do you long for forgiveness this morning? You should. You're guilty. I'm guilty. I know a lot of churches don't want to talk about this. They don't want to talk about sin and repentance, having to turn from something. But that's what repentance is. It's, it's turning. It's turning from sin. It's turning from dependence on you and your resource, resources to complete dependence on Jesus alone. 
And that's what John is preaching, and that is what Mark is highlighting. These people were being baptized. This is just a symbolic gesture of their cleansing. They were confessing in verse 5, and they were being baptized. This is a radical plan, a radically divine plan that was not new. And it's also a really worthy plan because the plan is all about Jesus. Everything about Jesus is superior to anyone who has come before. He's mightier than the prophets. He's more majestic than any king. He's holier than any priest. Look at verse 7. This is what John preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He didn't even want to untie his shoes because Jesus was so great. He also preached that what Jesus offered was greater. Did you notice that? Look at verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What? Immersed in? Cleansed by? Dipped into the Holy Spirit? Who can offer that? It's easy to say, I'm going to dunk you in water. It's not so easy to say, I'm going to dunk you in the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus is offering that because he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's your plan? This is the divine plan. Do you even have a plan for forgiveness? Does that involve maybe paying God back for things? I'm pretty sure that you don't have enough to pay that debt. Do you know how I know that? Because I know myself. And any payment for sin that I could conjure up will always be tainted and lacking. Isaiah says that my good deeds, my payments, my penance are like filthy rags before God. I have nothing to pay with. I have nothing to pay with. What's your plan? To believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news today, not only do you need to trust in the divine plan of God, you must know that Jesus has divine approval. Look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Did you ever wonder why Jesus gets baptized? It's kind of a question we probably should be asking ourselves when you you read the Scripture. Like, why, why, why is Jesus getting baptized? Why would Jesus go to John to be baptized when the text clearly says that this was a baptism of forgiveness and repentance. Did Jesus need forgiveness? No. He's done nothing wrong. Scripture screams that all over the place. Did he need to repent? Well, not in a negative sense. He didn't need to turn from anything. He didn't need to turn from his sin to the Father. But maybe in a positive sense, He's constantly kind of oriented towards the Father, always doing His will. 
So in, in that sense, he is already turned. Ultimately, though, I think the baptism of Jesus is showing a simply amazing fact. He is with you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God that Mark is talking about, is with you. He is for you. He wades into this messy Jordan River like he wades into your messy life. He's not afraid to identify himself with you. That's why he came, to identify himself with you. And that's what he's going down to this river and he's being dunked to say, these are my people. I'm with these people. In all of their disaster and mess, I am with them. Isn't that beautiful? He's the anointed one. Christ, right? Verse 10. He gets anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's the chosen one. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, showing us that anointing. The heavens have been torn open. God is moving towards us through the person of His Son. Something new is beginning. A new creation is starting here. At the beginning of creation, the Spirit, you remember, was hovering over kind of these waters that were kind of a void and and empty. And now we see the Spirit hovering over a person, a man. And that man is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was chosen. Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians, and he says that, that, that this... This gospel, this life of Jesus, this person of Jesus, this this work of Jesus. In Ephesians 3.11 it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized, God realized, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is according to the eternal purpose. Kind of wrecks your head to think that the Trinity was purposing something in eternity past. And that this was it. I don't understand how that all works. <laughs> I wasn't there. I probably will never understand how that works. But the Trinity is purposing something. And it is in, right here in this moment, the anointing of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And then you see the other third person of the Trinity here. You see the Father. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. He is completely approved of by God. He has God's, the Father's, complete approval. He's loved, He's well pleasing, and this is so personal to Jesus. You, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus doesn't need forgiveness. He's got nothing to confess to the Father. He's already right there then loved and well-pleasing. There is nothing Jesus has ever done wrong. He's perfection embodied. And he's identifying himself with you. Do you identify yourself with him? Do your neighbors know your passion for Jesus? When you, when you tell your coworkers about your weekend, do you mention church or the sermon? Kids, do your friends know your family loves Jesus? Do they know that you love Jesus? Jesus is chosen and approved, believer. So are you. So are you. You have nothing to fear and no shame to be had 
you have the same approval as Jesus. Because the Bible says that by faith you are in Christ. And so you are free to go and love others really well. There is nothing that needs to hold you back to identify yourself with Him. He's identified Himself with you, and that frees you to identify yourself with Him. To believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news today, not only do you need to trust the divine plan of God and know that Jesus has divine approval, but you must see Christ as divinely victorious. Look at verses 12 and 13. Again, Mark moves fast. We've already seen John. (laughs) We've already seen him baptized and now we're going to see this temptation in two verses the spirit immediately and then and then and then and then and then the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him so in genesis 3 you have this horrible scene of this man being tempted. He gives in to that temptation. He miserably fails and he plunges, plunges the human race into death and suffering. It's a pretty, pretty terrible chapter in the Bible. In Mark 1, we see another man being tempted. He's not in a lush garden. He's in the wilderness. He's not just tempted once in a moment, but over a period of 40 days and ultimately over the period of his entire life. And unlike the other Gospels, though, Mark doesn't tell us the result of this particular temptation experience. Where's the victory? There's no banishment that we see in other Gospels. There's no dialogue. There's really nothing here. Like, what happened? Like, you wonder, like, Mark, why, why are you not telling us what happened here? Well, when Adam sinned, after the temptation came, death followed, thorns grew, pain entered, murder happened, rebellion ran rampant, debauchery reigned. And that's just in the first six chapters of the Bible. (laughs) When Jesus is tempted, we just see him sitting around with a bunch of animals and angels. You're like, what's going on? Is that our victor? He's just sitting around, chilling with the animals and angels. Mark wants us to see something. He wants us to see that this is only the beginning of something new. Something beautiful. It's the beginning of a new kingdom with a new Adam and a new creation. So in the pages to come, we're going to see Jesus in chapter 1. He casts out a demon. And he heals the sick. In chapter 2, he heals a paralytic. In chapter 3, he heals a withered hand. In chapter 4, he calms a raging storm. In chapter 5, he casts out a whole legion of demons. He heals more sickness. And then he raises a girl to life who was dead. In chapter 6, he feeds thousands and he walks on water. In chapter 7, he casts out another demon and he heals a deaf and dumb man. In chapter 8, he feeds thousands more people and he heals the blind again. In chapter 9, he casts out yet another demon. 
In chapter 10, he heals the blind yet again. And in chapter 16, he himself rises from the dead. So is Jesus the divine victor? I think the rest of the gospel screams that to us. The rest of the gospel is screaming that to us. Mark doesn't need to write it here. He's baiting you. (laughs) Read this and see how this turns out. If he can sit there with Satan himself and be tempted for 40 days and not give in, you better be sure he can cast out a demon. You better be sure he can raise the dead. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Believer, be reminded today that the gospel of Jesus is good news for you. Just like when you first believed. It wasn't good news then and not good news now. It's good news in this moment and the next moment and every moment to follow. It's good news because it's a divine plan with a worthy planner. This plan has a God-man with full approval and anointing who can be all that you could never be. It is good news because Jesus is your champion. There is no sin he cannot defeat. There is no sickness he cannot heal. There is no vice he cannot remove. There is no corrupt part of your heart that he cannot make new. And there is no death that he cannot reverse. Unbeliever. Someone who's not following Jesus this morning. Why would you not embrace this Jesus today? Why would you not run to him, confess your sin, and repent? What other good news are you waiting for? What other good news are you waiting for? Because there is none. This is the only truly good news you will ever hear. Winning the lottery, getting that call from News Talk that you've won the cash machine, getting the new job, hearing that your team has won, these don't matter for eternity. That's not good news. Jesus is your only answer to the question of where do I find good news? And where do I find forgiveness? He's the only answer. And Mark is going to show us that over and over and over again. And you know what? It's worth hearing over and over and over again. It doesn't get old. It's new every time you hear it. And that is why we're going to spend some time preaching through the book of Mark. Week after week. It might take us a couple years to get through it. (laughs) But that's okay. Because it's good news. It's good news for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you, Father, that you had a plan for us from eternity past. Thank you that's a radical plan of forgiveness. Father, thank you that Jesus is fully approved by you and is the only one that could ever be the victor over sin and death. Remind in our hearts, just fresh this morning, that in Christ we have your complete approval. That we don't lack anything, that Jesus is enough. Forgive us when we try, even as believers, as we try to add things and we try to, we try to build up something to please you. Forgive us for that, God. 
rescue us from ourselves, our own hearts? Would you do a mighty work through your word as we study the book of Mark's, Mark together and, and hear it preached, Father? May your word transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.